52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the Health Ability Project. Hi, and welcome to a special edition of the Health Ability Project. I'm Robin McKenna. May is Women's Health Month, and so the episodes this month are dedicated to some very important women's health topics. Today, I have with me Courtney O'Neill, a registered dietitian nutritionist. Courtney founded Stonehouse Nutrition, which provides maternal nutrition counseling that is evidence-based, trauma-informed, weight-inclusive, and social justice-informed. Courtney was also a previous guest on the Health Ability Project. In episode 16, she shares her story of managing expectations as a new mom and parenting. Thanks so much for coming back and joining me today, Courtney. I am so glad to have you, and I'm just so excited to be talking about these super important topics surrounding women's health. Thank you for having me back. I'm really excited. And I think it's amazing that uh, this is a focus for um, the month and just bringing attention and having the conversations because it's something we're starting to do a little bit more, but there's certainly a lot more space available to be talking about these issues. I agree. And I think the thing is too, when we think of women's health, nutrition isn't the first thing that comes to mind, but it's so important, right? Absolutely. Especially in the prenatal postpartum space, it it definitely is overlooked in our traditional Western medicine approach. Um, And there's lots of great pieces to the care that we do receive, but nutrition, it's often some blanket recommendations to mothers and birthing people and not enough screening and not enough attention to the many different components that nutrition can play uh, in our experience being pregnant, in recovery. And so there, what happens is there ends up being a lot of confusion for pregnant people as to what they should be doing. And there's lots of fear mongering and um, people can really take advantage of pregnant people at this time when they're so vulnerable. That's very interesting that you say that. And I don't disagree. I think I think that's that's all very true. I'm also wondering if, you know, women on the go and and you know, most of us are working and carrying a child or being a new mom and that maybe is there some level of guilt attached to stopping to have a really good meal or what they view as a really good meal, which might actually be nutritious and therefore super beneficial. I mean, what do your clients share with you? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, And I think food in general carries, and just the act of eating carries so much, can carry so much shame or um, confusion for moms. So uh, I know for my postpartum clients who are introducing solids to their babies for the first time, uh, maybe already have children as well, they are, they're overwhelmed about feeding their child, um, their needs are often put second. And they're also in this internal battle with themselves to lose the, po- the baby weight, mm. you know, 
and I use air quotes there, um, to kind of like bounce back. And so it's this interesting dynamic that plays out uh, oftentimes, you know, I can think of one client specifically that was really wanting some support in feeding their child. And so we started talking and, you know, I, I kind of have specific questions that I, I use to probe. And it, it really, the underlying issue was the mother's relationship with food was so complicated mm. that trying to feed their child was too overwhelming. And so I think what happens is we don't spend enough time with our moms, um, really helping them nourish themselves, get connected with their body, understanding what works for them before starting to feed their children. And then it, it becomes really complicated. And that's why we have families who have a lot of different feeding struggles. Mm -hmm. And the typical the typical scenario of feed the kids first and then the mom stands in the kitchen and eats the leftovers of whatever the child didn't eat. And that's not necessarily nutritious. And, you know, moms probably need to be extra conscientious about what they're feeding themselves because they need to fuel themselves doubly to not only take care of themselves, but the children too. Absolutely. And I, I think often about, um, my postpartum clients or um, my pregnant clients who will be postpartum. And I, I strongly emphasize prioritizing regular meals or snacks throughout the day because, you know, the focus turns to baby immediately. Mm -hmm. So making sure that they're on their growth curve, do they have enough wet diapers, you know, are they gaining weight? And, you know, when you kind of ask a few questions, they're like, oh, well, I don't really get I don't really eat through the day. I may have a few coffees. And and so it's like, oh, well, they do the reflection themselves and they're like, oh, that makes sense. That's why I'm not feeling so great. But it's just, it's kind of how things have evolved in society is that we do put our ourselves second and not recognizing that, you know, that kind of cliche saying you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I'm seeing clients when they are empty. And they're, they're not, they're, they don't initially make that connection that they're like, oh, I'm not putting myself first. And it's a lot of work to help them make themselves a priority again. And like you said, have pause, have a good meal, you know, knowing that they're deserving of that. Right, right. And, and I guess too, it's, it's pointing out the connection, you know, have that good meal. And how do you feel after that versus thriving all day on coffee? Absolutely. And it is really interesting when I think about some clients uh, that I've worked with or one particularly last week. And so I, I do pull from the intuitive eating framework mm -hmm. of um, body attunement. So really connecting with ourselves, if that's accessible to somebody, that they can really connect with their hunger and fullness cues. And when you really ask them, like, what what does hunger feel like in your body or mm -hmm. what does fullness feel like? people can't explain it hmm. but we but we know what it feels like or they can explain it when it's extreme like when i'm really really hungry mm -hmm. or when i'm really really full but that that gray area that in between of just kind of being a little bit hungry it's hard to explain those sensations and so helping connect back with themselves even before baby's born because after there's a lot more stress your sleep there's sleep deprivation it can be really hard to to do that uh, so if we can help kind of foster that beforehand it can make them a little bit more mindful once baby's there that oh 
yeah, I, I do need to eat. Even if I maybe I'm not getting all the signals that I'm hungry, if I'm sleep deprived or I'm stressed, that can interrupt it. So just, it's really a self-care framework, mm-hmm. right? And oftentimes the self-care that we see on social media is getting our nails done or our hair done. Um, so I kind of always joke that I have this like boring self-care framework. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing super fun or fancy about having a little plate of food. Uh, but that is what is going to sustain you with sleepless nights and lots of crying. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is oftentimes the moms who come to me have seen other providers beforehand and have gone through the ringer of, especially postpartum, if they're dealing with fatigue, well, they're, they've gone on an elimination diet, they're trying these supplements and, I'm like, oh, well, I wonder if you're eating enough, like is kind of what I think about. And we come from a world of diet culture and want needing to shrink our bodies. And they're, it's such a simple, to me, it's so simple. And they're like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't really eat breakfast and I have maybe a small lunch and kind of have dinner if I can with the kids, but then I'm snacking at night and I'm like, oh, well, why don't we try some regular meals first? So it's so funny how I'm usually the last stop on the train. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, kind of the support that they've been looking for the whole time that's been missed. Now, have you noticed, I guess this would really be just with first time mothers, expectant mothers, what their eating patterns or nutrition patterns are like? Does it, you know, were they good eaters before they became pregnant and then maybe the morning sickness or other things just get in the way and then the the priority of nutrition goes downhill. What do you see there as compared to postpartum nutrition and, and new moms? Mm, I would say when they come to me, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. For the most part, any of the clients that I've worked with have had a pretty... I would say overall balanced eating pattern, certainly opportunities to fill those like nutrient gaps. Um, So there's definitely some key nutrients that we like to be including Mm -hmm. in uh, making sure they're coming into our diet in pregnancy that often are missed. So that's something I'll work on. But certainly the nausea and vomiting piece, if that's something that women are experiencing and, you know, it's 50 to 70% of people are experiencing that while pregnant at some level. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of pressure out there to eat these certain foods to get these nutrients. And, you know, they'll come to me and like feel so much shame and guilt that they're not even able to eat that because all they're tolerating is Mm -hmm. toast. Mm -hmm. And so just giving them space to know that that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. they're doing the best they can. And I have had a few clients who haven't had you know, a more well-balanced diet leading up to pregnancy. And it's really hard when you think about the short period of time pregnancy is in the grand scheme of things to really have these lifestyle changes implemented. Mm -hmm. So it can be really overwhelming for certainly a few of the clients I've worked with to think, holy man, I got to, I got to redo everything and really re- rethink or think about how to feed myself again. And Mm -hmm. so I would say it's definitely a spectrum and certainly across the board, once someone has become pregnant and they've reached out, there's a level of concern and investment to ensure they're they're doing the best that they can. Mm -hmm. And I would say every client in any group program I've ever done, um, every mother 
and birthing person has that desire to do the best they can for themselves and their baby. But the other thing I'll say is that most times we think about the baby. We want the baby to be thriving and healthy, but there's so many important pieces to make sure mom is healthy. And we reduce the risk of certain conditions or complications and also optimizing the experience of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so again, we tend almost immediately we center the baby without centering ourselves. And so if I can help center ourselves or the mom. Initially, I'm hoping that sets them up for success um, and a better relationship with their body moving forward. Sure. It seems to me that it's really a mindset change, not only just not really prioritizing, but it's really a must. You, You must be fed nutritiously in order to be present and function at an optimum level for your children. You mentioned early on that uh, this is not really discussed in Western medicine when I guess women are going to their OBGYNs. I mean, what do you think needs to be done or? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And I think that's one of the barriers that, you know, we all speak on behalf of mothers and birthing people is that that access to care. So there's the services that I offer are a paid service. And so there is a part of the population who could absolutely pay out of pocket, but there's a large population that can't mm-hmm. or, you know, can't prioritize that right now based mm-hmm. on the economy or other other things. So there's some great services out there that are available to like a few people of the population, but those services should be available through every OB clinic, through every midwifery clinic Mm -hmm. and also all the support people that are involved. So whether it's uh, pelvic floor physios, doulas, uh, mental health specialists, things like that. So Mm -hmm. there definitely is starting to be a shift. I can only speak to Canada specifically, Mm -hmm. uh, but one of my roles is connecting with providers and letting them know of my services and also asking what I could do for them. So do they need resources for their clients? How can we better support them? And just slowly evolving that access to care Mm -hmm. is really, really important because I think the other challenge is that there could be access to this information out there, but is it evidence-based? Is it fear-mongering? You know, is it from a person who has some credentials behind Mm -hmm. their name? Mm -hmm. Because there can be a lot of danger as well uh, with recommendations that are put out there during pregnancy. Right. And I just see it generally speaking for everybody, things we should be eating or not eating or products we should be using to exercise or not exercise. And it's, it's like, how do you really know? And, and where, where is the credibility factor in a lot of that? Right. And we just, a lot of us just mindlessly go and buy because we've seen the advertisements a million times. And so, oh, it must, it must be the right thing to do, but you know, it's, um, having the right level of access to care and the right care that are super important. So tell me a little bit more about trauma-informed and social justice-informed, those components of the services that you provide. I mean, two things, honestly, I would never have thought about with regards to nutrition counseling. And so I'm, I'm, you know, really, I'm sure a lot of us haven't thought about that, but, but I'm going to guess it plays a big role. Hmm. It, it absolutely does. And it's something that I have 
adopted over time. So certainly we don't learn about in our formal schooling. And so thankfully there are amazing trailblazers and champions who are doing this work and sharing the importance of having our practice rooted um, in a trauma-informed approach. And so what that means is, you know, I really think it encapsulates the term holistic, which now like wellness culture has adopted uh, when we say holistic. But what it means is you're looking at the person and the totality of all their life experiences Mm -hmm. and what, you know, what has brought them to where they are today. And so with food, you mean in in general to start. uh, And so, you know, for me, I will, I screen in my intake around if they've experienced any trauma. And so I give some examples of this could be childhood. This could be some type of violence that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do not have to share any details, but what we do know is that that impacts health outcomes for Mm -hmm. a client. And so not necessarily nutrition related, but I screen to ensure that, you know, if, and if they check off that they're open to discussing it in some form that I can help connect them with services Mm -hmm. that um, ensure that they're safe, which means better outcomes for mom and baby. And then oftentimes trauma does impact our relationship with food, potentially how we access food, potentially how we consume food. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have, you know, history of an eating disorder, mm-hmm. oftentimes it can be related to trauma that we've experienced in our life. And so just ensuring that we actually understand the person that we're speaking with and we validate and honor how they're presenting to us and what they've gone through. And I think that's the difference between you know, blanket recommendations. And when you chat with someone in, you know, in a session, you're like, in in my head, I'll think, well, I I can't recommend that, right? We have to take a much more gentle approach. Mm -hmm. And so it's much more individualized, exploratory, and creating that safe space for them. And so it's something that has come come out of my eating disorder training. Okay. And then the same thing for social justice informed. And so I spoke about briefly just around sometimes people have lack of access to, let's say, food. And so understanding that the social determinants of health is what we call them impact our health outcomes. So in society, we often think if we just eat a certain way and if we exercise, we're going to be the healthiest we can be, when in reality, it's much more complex and there's many layers. So if we live in poverty, if we, and if we live in poverty, how does that impact our access to healthcare? How does that impact our access to education? What are our support systems? And, you know, from a recent study that came out of Harvard, um, an ongoing study, but recent update is that social relationships are the biggest determining factor for health outcomes, Mm. you know, our connections with people. And to me, A, that's just so cool. B, I think about the isolation mothers feel in motherhood Mm -hmm. and how important, you know, I love nutrition. I'm such a nerd. I love all about this. I love the science. And at the same time, I think, my goodness, bringing moms together in some capacity is so much more important as well as making sure people can afford to feed themselves. I also think about, um, I've done a lot of work with food banks uh, in my other role and 
you know, one story that stands out to me is that a child had called the food bank and was concerned because her mom wasn't eating anything because they didn't have any food. And we know from research that, especially in single mother homes, mothers will go without food to ensure that their child can be fed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at the end of the day, yes, we can talk about all these nutrients, but if someone doesn't have enough money to afford food or enough food for themselves, you know, that, that information doesn't matter. And so, Oftentimes, you know, some of the great resources that are out there aren't always trauma-informed or social justice-informed. It, it really speaks to one particular group of society. And we, we kind of forget about all the other pieces as well, that it's we can do all the right things and there's still factors that impact our health greatly. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to a new mom or a an expectant mom who might be waffling between providing herself with enough proper nutrition is, you know, we, we all know that behavioral change takes time. I believe it takes up to six months really to adopt permanent changes. And, and that's obviously well past the, the halfway point in a pregnancy. And then you can probably throw everything out the window once yeah. the baby arrives. So you you hope you have something something that you've latched onto and you know before the baby arrives. But any any advice or any like simple stuff that that women can can I don't know try on their own or or what you think is like a safe way to start or practice. Yeah. Um, so when when you asked me that or just asked me that, I I was thinking about. Uh, what I call the jar philosophy that I always speak to my clients about. So uh, listeners may be familiar with seeing this on social media where a professor was talking to his students and talking about prioritizing your life and, you know, making sure you put the things you value the most first or the things that are most important. So if I can create a picture for your listeners, if you had this glass jar And then you also had a container of big rocks, a container of smaller rocks slash pebbles, and then a container of sand. If you wanted to make sure all of those things fit into the jar, you need to start with the rocks first, the biggest things, then the pebbles, and then the sand, or or else not everything's going to fit. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, I love that analogy for Mm -hmm prenatal nutrition, postpartum nutrition, but just overall health Mm -hmm. is that we can get so caught up with a specific vitamin or a specific nutrient and lose sight of those big rocks that fill up our jar first. Mm -hmm. And so that is the baseline of my education with any client I see. And so there's three components. And the first one is regular meals. Mm-hmm. That is a big rock. So what regular meals looks like can depend on the person. So, you know, three standard meals. Do you enjoy snacks? Do you not? Everyone is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but finding something that you can do regularly. Um, the next piece I always recommend and kind of fundamental is when, we, when we're eating meals, can we do our best to find a blood sugar balance ratio. Mm. So can we have some protein? Can we have some fats? Can we have some fiber? Can we have some color uh, Mm. around our plate at each of those meals? And I don't give specific 
amounts of food, uh, but just providing that visual. So oftentimes people kind of know the healthy plate, quote unquote, that visual divide. And some people, you know, will roll their eyes and it's not perfect, but it is a great starting point right, um, to help us reflect. And so when I give that recommendation, I often suggest, you know, for the first week, just observe what your meals look like, you know, versus kind of jumping in head first, trying to make all these changes is, okay, like, what am I missing? Oftentimes at breakfast and lunch, we don't have a lot of color, but dinner, we tend to have a little bit more color, um, fiber, things like that. So, Again, pretty, they don't sound too sexy or cool, but two really important factors that go into filling up our jar. And then the other one is around fluids. So adequate hydration is important for everyone. Definitely important during pregnancy because our blood volume is doubling. Mm. And depending on like what season you're pregnant, it can be harder to even recognize hydration status. And so looking at our fluids, can we reduce sugar-sweetened beverages where possible? Mm -hmm. And so those are three of the four main recommendations I make for anybody. And it's part of my core four approach that I call it. And so it really you know, I don't, I don't dive into the nutrients even right away. I I really look at the bigger picture because if we're going to throw out all these nutrients yet, someone's not even having regular meals, it's going to get really overwhelming for them to know how to incorporate that food. Right. It's, it's a little too much overload really. And, and just to build like a basic framework that they can begin to get comfortable with and I think also too, listen, you know, human nature is we don't want to restrict ourselves. So to, you know, start at the starting line with taking away versus maybe adding in color and uh-huh. adding in the balance of fats and proteins and and good carbs and fiber versus yeah. stripping away the butter or the sugar or you know expectant mothers and and new mothers have enough going on like they need yes. this this process of of adapting um prioritizing nutrition needs to be as stressless as possible and it and it also needs to seem like i would think like natural very natural a natural mm-hmm. course of action rather than a oh my god i've got to do this i've got to do that i was told to do this i was told to do that absolutely and you know sometimes when i chat with clients there's um almost this underlying rebellion against doing those recommendations and you know the they may not have an explanation of why, but exploring really like maybe what's uncomfortable about eating regular meals. Mm-hmm. And we know that there, and there's evolving research, uh, you know, the prevalence of eating disorders during pregnancy or mm-hmm. people having a history of eating disorders and disordered eating mm-hmm. leading into pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so people really struggle with their, their body changing, right. And gaining weight and, accepting that that is important part and that our all bodies will look different when it gains weight and as the baby grows and that's a lot of the work I do as well is that it's important to be eating regular meals and eating enough food and working through and accepting or at least respecting Mm -hmm. the process your body is undergoing and it's a lot of you know that's where that trauma-informed piece comes from is how do you create space for those big feelings 
that come up for clients. And, you know, it, it can really help transform that postpartum experience as well. So we know from uh, some recent research that individuals who have a lower body dissatisfaction or lower body image Mm -hmm. have lower rates, so initiation, duration of breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And so if breastfeeding is something that is a priority for someone and they're also struggling with their body image, that's something we don't talk about. And so if I can even create a space to say, this may be hard for a number of reasons, including really connecting with your body. Mm -hmm. And it's a very intimate experience with a baby when you're feeding them. Mm -hmm. And some people may not be able to, some people may choose not to, and that's also fine. It's just that I always say, if it is a goal for you and your baby, then, you know, just let's explore that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's not just about nutrients that are important. Obviously, there there are some that are very essential, but it's so much more than that. And I believe that when we provide space for moms to explore their relationship with food in their body early on, mm-hmm. I, I genuinely believe it makes it easier to feed our kids and much less complicated and overwhelmed when you get to that six-month mark. And you know, they're saying, oh my gosh, what should I feed my child? And mm. I think about like, well, what are you making for your dinner? Right. And can we, if you're making purees, can you make something puree or feed them baby puree food? Or if you're doing baby led weaning, can you just give them some of the food that you're eating? And I think we've just made it a little, we've, oh, we've overcomplicated things. And if I just think back to the jar philosophy, if we think of those regular meals, variety of foods at every meal, that's a wonderful foundation for children as well. I would agree. I would agree. I mean, it's just, you know, this concept of maternal nutrition is so multifaceted, right? And it's not mm-hmm. just the the mother that uh, that is actually benefiting. It's it's the children as well. Have you gotten any feedback from the women that you have worked with as far as you know, them coming to you and saying, God, I feel so much better. I have so much more energy now that I'm doing things this way or eating more regularly or, you know, introducing more colorful meals. I mean, is there any confirmation that they, that they see the light or that they really notice the difference from their own bad habits to, you know, better habits? Yeah. Like once they have that education, what is the kind of, if they're seeing any immediate outcomes? Yeah, uh, definitely. I would say, uh, so in my, in my process, I I recommend an initial assessment and then at least three follow-ups if possible, Uh, obviously depending where they are on their pregnancy journey, just to ensure that they can, you know, see some change if that's, you know, obviously that's the goal. And so I think if I can think of like a few scenarios. So oftentimes clients are coming to me with nausea and vomiting Mm -hmm. uh, or heartburn. And so some simple changes that we can make, you know, two weeks later, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like a new person. And, you know, sometimes I take for granted that, you know, that those changes. (laughs) Yeah. And that they, they do have an impact. And, you know, Mm -hmm. oftentimes that information is out there, but it's, it's just so overwhelming to process. And it is really helpful to have someone helping you implement Mm -hmm. what, what does it actually mean to make that change? Uh, So definitely the nausea and vomiting piece and just seeing the aha moments in the session with them saying, well, we could try this or try this. And they're like, oh, 
like even something non-food related. I'm thinking with nausea and vomiting, it was the summer and they're, they're working in a hot office. And I was like, well, what about like a, a fan? And they're like, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That may not come up if we're not having that discussion. Mm -hmm. And so that could make eating a little bit more pleasurable, right? If you're not feeling so nauseated, you may mm -hmm. say, oh, I, I could tolerate some food. Mm -hmm. um, another one that is something that's come up for a few clients is I, I work with a number of people with gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really overwhelming condition to process for most people. Uh, so it's usually diagnosed between 24 and 28 weeks, you're over halfway. Wow. And, you know, now you're given these really prescriptive um, and important guidelines for where your blood sugar needs to be. And oftentimes, once they get the diagnosis, they're also recognizing maybe why they have felt not so great. Mm -hmm. um, and so helping them really tune into what it feels like when they're having fluctuating blood sugars and what it feels like when we can balance blood sugars a little bit more. And to me, that is not the most rewarding, but quite rewarding to be able to help them make those small changes mm -hmm. and feel empowered about being able to manage this condition uh, because it Obviously, we're concerned. We want to make sure our blood sugars stay in range for the safety of the baby, for for mom. And it can also feel like it's totally out of our control, right? Oh, okay, I guess we'll just need insulin. And I hope I, I create a space for people to really see what's what tools are available to them and how they can become really aware of what they're putting in their bodies, what, what can they tweak uh, to help them feel better and to, uh, at, the, at the end of the day, make sure their blood sugars stay in range. And so I actually last month, um, yeah, at the end of last month, um, received a picture from one of my clients with the baby. Um, so she was one of my gestational clients with gestational diabetes. And it, you know, just to see that she was kind of over that, I want to say hump, you know, all that stress that it accompanies with uh, gestational diabetes and that she was healthy and baby was healthy. Um, to me, that is, that is so rewarding. And hopefully she can also carry that awareness in her body now through the postpartum period. That's awesome. Courtney, I can't thank you enough. This is such an interesting conversation. And, you know, like we both said at the beginning of our conversation that maternal nutrition and nutrition past the child's bearing age is is something that is so overlooked but so incredibly important to women's health so thank you so much for enlightening all of us it's it's really been fascinating and thank you for the work that you do i'm sure it it really makes you feel good to to see these moms make these changes and and start to feel better and then pass that the better habits along to their children yeah, absolutely. It's so rewarding. And, you know, I just get so much energy from talking with them and helping them recognize their power and their abilities. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely a privilege. And I just think it's so, so wonderful that you're talking about this, um, you know, all aspects of women's health Thank and you. maternal health, right, Thank is um, the more that we can talk about it, the more people will know um, and feel supported. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you. All right, listeners, well, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please like us, share us, post on social media about us. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach me at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. 
Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to the Health Ability Project at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends. 